Marco Mangelsdorf here. Energy 808, the cutting edge. Jennifer Potter joins us again. Always look forward to that. We'll be right back. All right, Jenny Potter, here we are again on uh, yet another auspicious Monday. Jenny Potter, former Hawaii PUC commissioner and director at Stratagen. Thanks so much for being back with me today in the show. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I think you're, you must like me, so that's great. <laughs> we, we and the viewers like to uh, hear what you have to say because your contributions are always so so juicy and always so rich so thank you again i just so appreciate being able to continue this conversation so let's dive right into it you have been working toiling away at a grant application if i'm not mistaken that uh, if the money were to come through uh it would be a benefit to the state of hawaii the people of hawaii so i think it'd be great to learn more about uh, what is possible as far as coming in the form of a grant, where the grant would come from, uh, if you have an idea of what the total sum would be and where that money would be spent to benefit us all. I'd be happy to talk about that. So when the, this, is, this is just a continuation, this grant application was a continuation of the work that I began uh, with the commission um, many years ago in looking at equity issues for the state of Hawaii and in particular access to renewable energy assets for low to moderate income customers. So for the most part, low to moderate income customers have been left out of the energy transition and not been afforded the accessibility of these renewable energy assets. And so this is this is problematic because what we're doing is we're seeing, you know, savings accruing to those customers that can afford these types of assets and not accruing to those that can't. So there becomes a, a, a greater energy burden to those low to moderate income customers that may in fact be subsidizing those customers that do have these types of assets. And so they, it just, it, it becomes problematic. We just start opening a can of worms. Um, so one way that it, it felt to, to address this was not only to go through the state legislature, which we did um, at one during my time at the commission, and we created a resolution that's called the energy equity docket, and it looks, and then also one that looks at the LIHE program, which is a program that's in a federal program that provides assistance, typically on a one-time basis to low to moderate income customers that are having difficulty paying their bill. So in the state of Hawaii, there is no state or utility run um, in the uh, low income program where there would be like a rate subsidization or there would be a credit that would be offered on the bill. And so there is a need to address the fact that Hawaii is a little bit behind the power curve in that area and that there was more work to be done and that we could co collaborate with our lawmakers and hopefully come up with an, a, an avenue to address equity issues. And so one of the outcomes of that was an energy equity docket in a proceeding that's now open in front of the, of the commission. And this, in fact, includes one of the objectives of it is increasing the access to renewable energy assets. And so as I left the commission, I was given this incredible opportunity to participate in a Department of Energy grant, which is part of the, um, the Investment in Infrastructure Jobs Act. Um, they're called the GRID grants, which is the GRID, the grid Innovation Program um, and, and Resiliency Innovation Program. And um, this 
project in particular is focused on low to moderate income customers and improving the resiliency and the reliability for those customers throughout the state of Hawaii. Um, and those, those customers would be offered uh, basically a free battery um, and at their homes, hopefully coupled, coupled with photovoltaics, and they'd be utilizing the GEMS program, which is the Green Infrastructure Authority program. There's a, a, a resource that the state has set up with a pool of funds that offers low to moderate income customers uh, a loan at very low interest rates, and even with poor credit, not great credit, um, and it allows them to install renewable assets and resources on their home or at their home and also in multifamily dwellings. So we would actually, through this grant, would be utilizing and leveraging that pool of resources from the GEMS program, from the Green Infrastructure Bank, in order to offer batteries for free, that these come from a grant portion from the federal government that would be buying down a large portion of the battery costs and then essentially allow for the installation of those batteries for free and in low-income customer homes. Um, so this is, why is this important? So we're talking about 100 megawatt hours of battery storage that we're looking to deploy over the next five years and targeting areas that are typically um, more isolated, that are seeing more frequent outages, that don't have um, maybe the most robust resiliency plans, we're looking at community centers and disadvantaged communities that could really benefit from having photovoltaics plus batteries installed in order to make a more robust and resilient grid grid in particular on, on each of the Hiko islands. So this is not including KIUC at this point, but and just um, and so the grant in total will bring in about $60 million of federal dollar, of federal monies, and that will be matched by the, the state program, which is the GEMS program, for another $60 million, which would be investing about $120 million into renewable energy infrastructure for low to moderate income customers. Um, in addition to that, although we've, we've identified low to moderate income, but we're actually using the definition of ALICE, which I don't know if you're familiar with ALICE, but ALICE is um, United Way, the Hawaii United Way. They've done a, a tremendous amount of research to look at those customers that are asset limited and income constrained, and yet they're employed. So these are people that are typically working. They don't have a lot of money in the bank. They, you know, an emergency would hit them and it would be very difficult for them to, to meet that the, the, the monetary requirements or, you know, to, to basically be able to um, pay for those emergency events. And so that increases the bar, if you will, for the type of customer that we're able to deploy these assets to. So this program is, is really championing, championing the ability for Hawaii to get more renewable resources in the hands of those customers that could not help to get them and alternatively and do it in a way where energy savings, grid service savings would actually pay for the battery in addition to the Department of Energy grant funding. So really exciting opportunity. So we're looking at about 10,000 homes in the state of Hawaii. You, 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 Figured out my next question. I was quickly trying to do some Rain Man math with 100 megawatts, uh, megawatt hours, you said. And I, we, I came up with the same number. I was figuring 10 kWh per site, which is easy math, right? And mm -hmm. I came up with 10,000. So I'm glad that my, my math skills uh, are still, still there. 
So, I mean, that's not chump change, obviously. And just to make sure I understand correctly, so the battery, if the money comes through, the battery would be paid for through the grant and the PV system could be financed through GEMS, mm-hmm. even for folks who don't necessarily, let's say, have good credit scores. So they're getting a substantial uh, essential boost or essential assist here to be able to take advantage of this. Okay, so I, I get it. So the next question, my, my friend Jenny, is when when do you expect to hear an answer? And this is a, a grant that was applied for uh, through DOE, Department of Energy? Yeah. Yep, that's correct. Mm-hmm. When uh, when when are you uh, when will your waiting on pins and needles be pow as far as uh, getting news? <laughs> so we're hoping in quarter three of 2023, and that would be we'd be launching the program in the beginning quarter one of 2024. So we wouldn't waste any time getting started, um, but hopefully we'll hear back in the fall. Um, I wish it was sooner. <laughs> and what would what would Stratagen's position, or what would what would Stratagen do? The money comes through, you know, fingers crossed. Good thing for the state of Hawaii. What would Stratagen do? So the role of Stratagen is actually the overall project manager. So we would be ensuring grant, grant compliance first and foremost. So, for example, the Davis-Bacon Act, which requires the, the pay, payment of prevailing wages to those that are involved in, for in our case, would be solar installers. So we would need to ensure compliance throughout the state that those solar installers were being paid a prevailing wage. Um, that's just one example of grant compliance. But we'd also be doing uh, measurement and verification, uh, so ensuring that the batteries and the uh, photovoltaic systems are working appropriately and as, as expected, and that we can actually utilize them to provide grid services. So. That, that's one component, and we'd be doing a business cost, a, bit, a benefit cost analysis as well to look at the types of grid services that can be provided um, and the, the costs associated with providing those and then determining whether, you know, the, if this is a cost-effective solution that could be scaled throughout the state, and, you know, using different dollars or throughout the rest of the country and, and other jurisdictions. So that's one of the things that the Department of Energy is very interested in learning about is whether this is scalable. Um, and then we would also be doing monthly reporting and all of that good jazz that comes with, you know, oversight of project management. Um, and, but yeah, it would be, a, 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 we'd be doing community outreach, um, working closely with our friends at Hawaii Energy, and of course uh, the Wayfarers program and the Good Jobs Hawaii, which are, who are with the Hawaii State Energy Office, so working on workforce development. Um, and so, yeah, there would be a, a, just a really well-rounded position for Stratagen to, to basically help the, the state achieve its goals and, and to ensure that we're, we're meeting our performance metrics and, and, um, and the requirements from the DOE for the funding. So, so we could essentially, Hawaii, little old Hawaii in the middle of the Pacific, we could essentially be kind of a test bed test case for mainland states, mainland utilities if, if the money were to come through. Yes, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. I just, um, I love it when Hawaii can be out in front and not, uh, you know, follow the lead of those folks on the mainland. It gives me a sense of pride. Uh, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, though, related. So uh, I think we both know that back in 2015, thanks to uh, Senator Mike Gabbard and others, the legislature passed and was signed by Governor David E. Gay, uh, Community-Based Renewable Energy, or CBRE. And now we're eight years later, and I just looked this up. 
on the Home Electric website earlier today. And if I understood it correctly, there's somewhere around 300 kW, 300 kilowatts total of CBRE that is actually installed operational right now with a number of megawatts uh, in the uh, planning stage uh, yet to come at a date uncertain. And my question to you is, do you have any insight as to why the, the really great idea of being able to support those who don't have the income, those who don't necessarily have the roof space, living in condos and so forth, uh, that it's taken, that why we've made collectively so little progress over eight years. I mean, 300 kilowatts is, is really chump change. Now, megawatts will be less than chump change, but that has yet to be. So why, uh, why has this taken so long? What's your, what's your take on that? So I think there's a couple of factors that are at play. Um, the first is that the, the interconnection requirements study with the utility can be a very, very arduous undertaking. Uh, it is not something that typical developers are, <clears throat> um, that maybe you don't deal with only mainland utilities that come to Hawaii and, and then try and, and work within the, the HECO, HECO um, that they're necessarily familiar with sort of the, um, the nuances of what it's like to try and establish service on an island and interconnect to an island system. Um, as, as we know, we're all on our own independent grids. And so the interconnecting to those grids with larger scale projects can be quite challenging and getting all the components correct and ensuring that those interconnection requirement studies are done in a timely manner and are done in a cost-effective manner and that the costs that come out of it that, are, that need to be incurred by the, um, by the developer, uh, that is something that has created some to balk at the prospect of being a CBRE developer. So the, the cost can be quite prohibitive. And so that, that's one factor. Another factor is, is that there's a, there's a general um, consensus that there needs to be some guaranteed savings to the, the, the subscribers to the, into the program. So those customers that subscribe to the community-based renewable program, that they would get you know, a 10% savings on their bill, similar to what you would expect if you installed solar on your roof. So you would, you would expect to see energy savings almost immediately, right? But the challenge is, is that some of these projects have come in and they're so costly that that savings isn't necessarily guaranteed. And it's not something that is, is, is certainly can be offered to customers um, without being great subsidization from the utility or for other ratepayers. Uh, so it's, it, there's, a, there's a challenge in, in, our, in terms of offering savings to participants um, when you have very expensive systems in Hawaii. I mean, it's, it's, it's more expensive to build here and to put in these large scale systems. And, um, and that, that only increases the, you know, that increases the cost of these programs. And so therefore some, in, in some cases, the savings just aren't there. I'm gonna go, I, I appreciate that answer and it makes sense to me. I'm gonna go just one more step down this path of, uh, of the D word delays, because it's, I think, kind of apropos. So we had the Waikoloa 30 megawatt and 120 megawatt hours of storage plant that was kind of officially dedicated, I assume they're up to full power now, not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And this springs from the, uh, the request for proposal round one, which dates back to 2018. Mm -hmm. And if you do the math, that took about five years 
to go from proposals, vetting, negotiations, last and best final, and so forth and so on. In the case of the second winner on this island, also 30 megawatts of solar, 120 megawatt hours of storage on Parker Ranch land by Interjex, Ale Kuovehi, they are forecasting they will be online Q2 of next year. So you do that math and that's six years. So five years and six years. I asked uh, Colin Yost last, uh, when we were on together, last show, I asked him uh, what, if anything, could be done about that. And he said, well, the commission has been acutely aware of the, the long timeline, as you well know. And he thought that with some improvements in place, that that could shave that timeline down by, I think he said, a couple of years. How realistic do you think that is? Or and again, I want to make clear that it's not just Hawaii where utility scale solar and or with storage is bogged down, bogged down, bogged down. I mean, it's across the United States mainland. It's even in California. It's in Texas. It's, it's, it's across the country. So our, our situation here is far from unique. How realistic do you think it is, since we're talking about you know, the timelines here, uh, that possibly a year or two could be shaved off now that we're in RFP3, right? That, uh, Conceivably, at the end of the year, Hawaiian Electric will announce the winners. So I'll leave it to you. What's your take? Right. Well, one one thing that I can note is there's a 2.17 K, um, um, megawatt system here in Lahaina uh, on Maui. And I asked the developer how long it took in order for them to build and bring that to commercial operations on their commercial operations. And it took them 10 years. And that's quite appalling. Um, and that was actually not part of an RFP process. But, you know, the fact that we have now are at five years is shows some improvement, right? I mean, we've cut that in half. Um, but in terms of, of being able to cut that down even further in half, uh, that, that could be quite challenging. I think that there is, um, there's one, we have, we have some pretty remarkable challenges with the inter interconnection requirements study that have yet to be solved. Um, there's a lot of mystery for developers when they go into the the, the bidding process with the with the um, HECO companies because they're not sure of what those costs will actually be. And the, and, and the, the interconnection cost can be quite prohibitive for even a very small project. And so there can be some sticker shock that, you know, will require some additional negotiation. In fact, sometimes those contracts end back, back up, but they end up back in front of the commission because they need to be renegotiated because of those interconnection costs. Um, so those the, that, that has happened in the past, um, which further delays the project. And if there is not cooperation and collaboration on what these these costs are going to be, and really from an early onset, then you're going to have significant delays. So one of the improvements that was attempted in this third round of, uh, you know, there's there's actually quite a few improvements in the in the third round of RFPs. One of them was more transparency into the interconnection requirement study, so that developers could kind of have a little bit better idea of what they might be up against when they're, you know, they're 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 going into the utility and they're at that stage of the development process, and you know, not to be shocked at that point when they've already sourced you know, resources to develop and, and build the project. And now all of a sudden this com comes to a screeching halt um, <laughs> because of those costs. 
Um, another one was, you know, a, a community um, benefit agreement, and those are opportunities for um, for the developers to engage with community groups in advance of there being any challenges or difficulties, especially when these are being cited near um, communities in general, just any community. Um, there's significant delays that are caused by, you know, communities that do protest these developments in their backyard, and that is that's to be ex expected. And there needs to be an advanced uh, approach, you know, a, a dealing with those types of uh, interactions with our community members. So uh, it, dealing with that, putting that into the RFP from the get-go um, and saying that this is going to be a requirement for you to do business in the state of Hawaii, you will have to work with the community, you will need to develop a community benefit agreement. And then in addition to outlaying, outlining several of the interconnection requirement studies, conditions, if your criterion, if you're, if you're, if you will, um, then that should help with some transparency for those developers. Now, it's still doing business in Hawaii as a developer. And, you know, when you look at six-year timelines in order to get to commercial operations, how do you plan for costs, you know, three to six years in advance? I mean, that's a very challenging ordeal. So you can't really, you know, especially in light, especially in life with the uh, continuing brouhaha in Washington regarding uh, tariffs that have been held in advance uh, with now measure passing both the House and the Democratic Senate that would overturn Biden's pause on tariffs. That's a whole other subject that a few moments ago you said from the get-go, and I thought, get-go? Gecko, gecko. Yes, if we had more geckos involved, you know, I think they're, you know, positive amakua for getting things done, you know, taking care of necessary things. But maybe that's the subject for another conversation. So let, let's dramatically shift gears to uh, advanced rate design. The reason I think this is appropriate is because there was a, a very much in-depth piece by one Herman Trebish there in Utility Dive, who we both know, and you were extensively cited. And I know that was while you were at the commission, that was one of your parts of your, uh, your one, in one of your baskets. So how about you introduce us to the, uh, the notion of ARD, advanced rate design, and why uh, people in Hawaii should care? Absolutely. I'd be happy to do so. So this is this. Um, so what we're talking about is time varying rates, and what that means is rates that vary based on the time of day and when you're using things. And I, I, some people may recall back in the day when we had cell phones that actually had peak time hours, if you will. And if you called during those peak time hours, you paid a premium on the cost per minute that for for utilizing the phone lines at that those hours. This is a very similar, same thing with matinee, you know, a matinee movie ticket versus a peak time movie ticket. So can I ask just a quick clarifying question? So is ARD a new acronym for TOU, time of use, or are they different? It, it is an, it's a new acronym. Um, okay. Time of use is, yeah, so advanced rates can be more than just time of use, okay. but time of use is actually spreads the, the spectrum, if you will. So, I mean, it's not, it's a, it can, as long as you, you're talking about temporal, meaning, you know, when something is used, the time of the day that something is used, then that's pr pretty much time of use or time varied pricing. And advanced rates are considered those that are temporal in nature instead of being volumetric, which volumetric is what we have currently here in Hawaii, where you're charged a, a constant rate up to a given tier. So up to maybe two, let's, let's just say 500 kWh you're charged one price, 
and then beyond that, you're charged an, a price that's incrementally higher, and then so on and so forth. And so those volumetric rates are literally measuring the quantity of energy that you're using um, over the period of your billing cycle, but not necessarily at the time of which you're using it. And the reason why it's so important to consider temporal aspects to when we talk about rate is that there's a cost causation. So when you're using energy during the, the height of the day of the, where the energy demand is the greatest, which is typically between 4 and 9 p.m. in the state of Hawaii, and that is when we have to start up additional generators. You have to start and you're using perhaps diesel fuel that's more expensive than, you know, say bunker fuel than in some of our other oil-based and fossil fuel generation facilities. And so, and, and also photovoltaics have gone offline because the sun is now setting. And so we have, um, you know, we have a, an opportunity for uh, customers to basically, okay, so, so during those peak hours, sorry, <laughs> those peak hours, it's more expensive, period, to run the grid for the electric system. It's just, it's just much more expensive to generate electricity. And so if you use a price that reflects the cost, the cost causation, if you will, of those higher costs for generating and transmitting energy and delivering it to customer homes, then you're in a situation where you can perhaps persuade consumers to use less energy during those hours where it's more expensive. So you actually are mirroring the cost of, you know, of the cost of, of, of producing an electron and delivering it at a specific hour of the day with the cost that's actually charged to the customer. So it becomes a much more even playing field instead of, you know, this idea that all energy costs the same throughout the day. That's not the case. Energy actually varies. It's a cost different, it's different prices throughout the day. And so this, the, the point of, of ARD and the advanced rate design is to really influence customer behavior to utilize, to use less energy during hours that are more constrained, where we have more dirty facilities that are producing dirty, meaning fossil fuel generators that are producing energy, and, and, and then instead use it at hours where there's more solar on the grid and there's more renewable energy, wind and, and photovoltaics. And so that idea is basically to shift the energy, make the energy cheaper during the middle of the day when those renewable resources are there. In fact, it almost to the point where it's free and then charging a high price during the evening hours where it's very costly to produce that energy. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a tried and true way of changing the way that the grid operates and functions and how we service the grid and provide services to our customers in, in a way that's more cost effective uh, in the long run. Well, that's a great, great answer. Thank you so much. And uh, so a couple follow-on questions. Uh, when will this be implemented here in Hawaii? Question one. And question two, for those no small number of people who said, I don't want to be thinking about what I'm paying for electricity at this time of day versus that time of day. I just want, I don't want to participate. I choose to opt out, just like you have people opting out of having so-called smart meters on their home, right? It's just, no, I don't want to do that. So when will it be implemented and can someone like me or anybody else, home or business, simply say, no, not going to do it? Yep, absolutely. So this is what we call a default rollout. So the, it, it would be a, a rate that 
everyone would be placed on with the opportunity to say, I don't want to be on it. I don't want to participate at all. And we want to make that as easy as possible for people to say, you know, literally like check a box on a postcard, mail that back into your utility or sign on a form on online and say, this is not going to work for me. I'm not going to be, I'm not willing to participate. And, and they can actually be put back on what will be called an opt out rate. How that that what that is is not yet to be determined. We haven't figured that out yet. So I'm gonna guess I'm gonna guess starting right, but I'm gonna guess that the opt-out rate would be somewhere between the peak highest rate and somewhere and the lowest rate at a at a wherever that midpoint or non-midpoint is is gonna be cheaper than the highest cost of electricity, depending on the time of day, and more expensive than the lowest cost. Do you think that's a reasonable assumption? Yeah. That's a very reasonable assumption. Absolutely. Yep. That's correct. Okay. okay. Yeah. So it's really, you know, folks at the utility aren't going to want to talk about, well, we're going to penalize and benefit people, you know, in terms of, of rate design. It's going to be, we disincentivize folks, right, from using power uh, during peak demand when the, 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 the load on the utility is highest. And we incentivize people to use power when it's cheapest, which, you know, what, one of the things that comes to mind is conceivably you could do some arbitrage here if you were to install storage, you know, with or without solar, you could charge your batteries during the cheapest hours of the day and then use that stored energy from the grid and offset what you would be otherwise paying Hawaiian Electric at the highest rate, right? I mean, cer certainly the ARD, Right minds like yourself have thought of that possibility, right? The arbitrage is one of the, yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that we are banking on is that people will do that because we do need to shift that load from the middle of the, from the evening hours to the middle of the day. So yes, please arbitrage. <laughs> please arbitrage. Okay, I don't think you answered the when question. I didn't, I didn't, no. So, so we're gonna actually roll out a pilot in quarter three of 2023. And then there will be a, the full implementation will be in quarter two of 2024. So um, that is when the, well, it'd be, I think it's quarter three, 2024. The AMI meter rollout will be complete by um, quarter two of 2024. And that's, that's necessary in order for us to have the data to do time of use rates. So we do have to have that complete prior to putting, to having these rates go into effect. Okay, so it's um, sometime next year with uh, details yet to be rolled out as we also wait for the details of the Smart DER, Smart DER program, which mm -hmm. uh, last I heard is supposed to go online mid-August. Uh, uh, but now we're, you know, we're, we're month five in the year. We're the 15th of, of May and we're only three months away, apparently, unless they've changed the timeline from the Smart DER program rolling out. So it's just interesting as usual, Jenny. We just got so many uh, juicy balls in the air. And uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Hawaii Energy Conference, which will be taking place uh, next week yes. on uh, Maui at the, uh, at the MAC. Uh, you'll yeah. be there. I'll be there. And what I call the energy C and D scene. So uh, <laughs> next time we, we powwow on, uh, on the show here, I'm sure we'll be able to... Uh, find some interesting things to comment on. So, gee, 
the half hour goes by so very quickly and we it's always so cover fast. some juicy stuff um, as always and i thank you so much for joining us and think tech hawaii today and uh till the next time thanks very much and ahui ho ahui ho much aloha thank you Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.